this Bible reading is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 6. And I'm reading from the NIV translation, um, beginning at verse 39 through to the end of the chapter. He He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye. You hypocrites. First, take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I ask or do what I say? As as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. May the Lord bless this reading. Well, we're going to continue on with our series on the parables today, as you've just heard in the reading. Um, I'll start with a, a story about a man. He was a rich man, and he uh, was going on a world cruise. And he said, while he was away, he got his builder and he said, I-, I want you to build me a house. Now, this house has a very uh, special meaning. It's going to be an important house. Spare no expense. Uh, it's going to be set when I come back for a very special reason. 
Now, the builder, he listened carefully to why, uh, to the, the specifications that he had to build this house to. He'd used this builder for many, many years, built many, many houses with this rich man. And he was always very thorough, the builder was. Never once did he deviate from the plans. But when the employer left for the cruise, for like six-month cruise, he thought, well, there's no one looking over me now. All the years that he'd faithfully served this rich man, he felt that he hadn't been rewarded fully for the work that he had done. And since his employer wasn't around to check up on him, he thought it'd be a good time to just gain back some of those things that he felt he probably hadn't been given. So the building would look fantastic everywhere. So the the man would come back and see it was a perfect house. But in the places where he could not see, he bought cheaper material, he cut corners, and he skimped. He thought the employer, the rich man, will never, ever know. There's no way he could know, and he just put the, the difference in his pocket. So when the employer returned, he came to look at the house, and at one glance, he knew that the builder had done a great job. It was magnificent. He'd done it again. He built a masterpiece. Everything looked as it should have been. After he was satisfied with the house and everything where it should be, he said to the builder, you have served me faithfully over many, many years. As a reward, I planned this house for you. It's yours to live in. This morning we're going to step into a few of the, uh, the parables of but the wise and, and foolish builder, the parable of the fruit, the parable of the blind leading the blind. And my hope is that we will see that Jesus doesn't want us just to listen to good teaching. He doesn't just want us to think about it. He wants us to act on it. He wants us to act on the foundations that he has set in our lives. Because acting on the principles of Jesus sets us up for a house that is on a firm foundation, rather than just skimping over the edges and ending up building on something totally different. So as we, we're going to work backwards a little bit in this. We're going to work from the, the back of the chapter and up. Um, we're going to see how that foundation in Christ actually sets us up to have godly character, which through godly character brings us into accountable relationships. Foundations in Christ, godly character, accountable relationships. So let's look first of all at godly foundations in verse 46 to 49. I love how Jesus starts this short passage. It's, it's like he sees through people and preempts their question. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I'll show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. I'll show you what it looks like. Beginning at the end of this passage, we can see that the climax of this passage was, was um, of the parable of the wise and foolish builder. And he encourages us to build our house on solid foundation, on the rock, doesn't he? We've, at our house, just recently, we've been building a deck. Well, we haven't been building a deck. You don't want me to build your deck. The builders have been building a deck in our house. And I had not the first idea of how it was going to work. So our, our, they had to dig out a whole lot of dirt, pull it right back, and then, they, um, and then they, poor, these poor guys started digging post holes in the mud. It was just clay mud pit. It was just disgusting. These poor guys, they lost many shoes. There was a big pile of, of, uh, of all the, all the uh, materials that were left over, all the, all the junk, and there was like four or five pairs of shoes in there. That's how muddy it was. They ruined their shoes in our, in our, in our holes. So they're digging out these post holes, and the, the guy's slopping around in, in clay, 
But these holes were really deep. And I said to the guy, they're really deep holes. I mean, you've already dug a lot. They're really deep holes. And when they put the concrete posts in, there was like that much below the ground and that much above the ground. They were really deep. And they pour the concrete in. And, and it was, I'm thinking, this, this deck's not going anywhere forever. It is, it is there. If it was left to me to build the deck, which I was tempted to think about doing at one stage for about two seconds, I would have just leveled the ground and whacked the boards on top. No foundation at all. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a builder. I'm glad I went with the wise builder <laughs> who knew to build on solid foundations, deep down in the earth. Because if we went with my plan, the floods or the rain that came just in yesterday would have washed the whole thing away, wouldn't they? And then we're back to square one. This whole discourse that Jesus has just been through finishes with this parable. Uh, it, it's, it's sort of like the Sermon on the Mount. They call it the Sermon on the Plain. It's full of, of, of the teaching of God's way, how God wants us to live. And the wise and foolish builder at the end of it is a call to obedience to the principles that are set out. Do this and you'll be firm on solid ground. This parable, um, sort of with, along with God, uh, Matthew's gospel uh, of the Sermon on the Mount, is seeking to say that the person who acts upon godly principles will be firm when things start to buffer against it. They'll survive when the, the river rapids rise and, and start to push against it. When the principles of life, when your principles are challenged, those whose principles are, are based firmly in Christ will not fall or will not be swept away, will not perish. You know, living a life that is contrary to God's guiding principles is like building a house without foundations. It's not, it's not going to last. I don't know about you, I love the Melbourne city skyline. Um, you can see it up on the screen. It is a beautiful city of Melbourne. And, and as you, when I go up to see my parents, they live up on, on, the, on, the, um, on the border, but we come back down to the Hume, and I always love the space where you're coming on the Hume and you can start to see the, on the horizon the, the silhouette of the city skyline. It is absolutely beautiful. And I know that as I get closer, the buildings sort of start to become bigger, 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 and you get right in there and you think, wow, these, these buildings, are just all on top of one another. And you think, well, I do anyway. You think, isn't it incredible that such great buildings have, are able to sit together and be together all in the one space? But they're so solidly built on such a solid foundation that they all work together safely and securely. The other place that I've been to that I was intrigued with was Venice. Has anyone else been to Venice? Yeah, Venice, beautiful place, absolutely beautiful place. Um, but it's intriguing because it's all set in water. Um, so you, you, you're going around on gondolas all, all over the place. But the buildings aren't like Melbourne buildings, not high sky rises and all that. But there's a lot of buildings there, a lot of houses, a lot of places. And some are pretty significant and important places. But what I learned was that there's a, this whole place is built on water. Venice has no foundations. And Venice is gradually sinking. Now, there's many people that are like that, though. Maybe the buildings look good. Maybe they look good on the outside, but the foundations just aren't existent. They live life that looks okay, but there's a very real danger of being swept away. 
Spurgeon talks of it like this. He says this. The common temptation is, instead of really repenting, to talk about repentance. Instead of heartily believing, you say, I believe, without really believing. Instead of truly loving, you talk of love without doing the loving. Instead of coming to Christ, you speak of coming to Christ and profess to come to Christ and yet not come at all. We need to have deep, solid foundations. I wonder how deep are your foundations? What is your faith built upon? Because when the floods come, is your faith going to stand up to the test? I remember when I first got to England as a youth, uh, as a youth and children's director was my role, and we had some, a whole lot of baptisms just that were organised before I got there. And it was, they were lovely. They were really great. But all the testimonies were not about Jesus. They were about how great the youth leaders had been. And I look back now and think, we've missed it because their foundations were based in their youth leaders and not in Christ. I love what Jordan and the team are doing because how fun is it to have hungry hippos with human people? How good is that? But they're teaching our students, our, our young adults and our kids what it means to follow Christ, not follow another person. When we're hit with grief and loss, when anxiety gets the better of us, when deadlines loom and performance needs to increase, what are the foundations that you rest upon? When disappointment racks up and you feel wounded by what the world's throwing at you, what are your foundations? Where do they lie? I start here. Because if we don't start with the foundations, everything else is amiss. Because those foundations begin to define who you are. They define your character. That's the next parable. If we go back up from the bottom of of, uh, that chapter 6 into verses 43 to 45. Godly character. Godly character can be defined this way. Constantly doing the right thing at the right time in the right way for the right reason. Constantly doing the right thing at the right time in the right way for the right reason. There's another, another definition, who you are when nobody is looking. Constantly doing the right thing regardless of anyone who is around. A more God-centered version might be the ability to discern God's way from the wrong and to voluntarily surrender one's own will to do what is right in God's sight and with the promised supernatural help to resist wrong even when temptation and pressure are there. Doing what is right in the eyes of God, even when no one's around. That's character. Because it's easy to just get angry when you're alone in your car and someone cuts you off, isn't it? Or someone sits on your tail the whole time. And you politely suggest that they should not do that. And you never get angry with them. (laughs) Never with a raised voice. Or when you're uh, stressed in your workplace and your boss hasn't been fair to you and you go to the lunchroom and you never, as you make your coffee, mutter under your breath anything at all that is unedifying. (laughs) Perhaps it's dealings with money and how you treat your loved ones, what you watch or look at on TV or on your computer. It can all be done subtly. No one will know. But character says, nah, I'm not going to do that. 
character that is built on the foundation of Christ says, no, I'm not going to do that. Character is not the result of just a little bit of hard work, is it? It's not a result of just positive self-reinforcement. I can be a better person. I can do this. I'll try harder. How do we know the character of a person? Well, Jesus, in this, in verse 43 to 45, says you need to look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from, from briars. Jesus draws on this agricultural reference, and people at the time would have understood what he was talking about. Another everyday reference, we sort of alluded to that last week. His illustration of fruit depicts people, and Jesus moves from the, the parable to explaining it a little bit. He says, well, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. It makes sense. And he moves further, and he hits at the character of a person. And this is where character starts to shape shape. He says this, for it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Another version says, from the overflow of the heart. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I've got, I've got my coffee here, and I, I thought I'd try something. And I hope I don't make too much a mess, otherwise we're going to have the cleaning crew in here. And, and as, I, as I think about it, I start to think, well, what do I put into my life? And sometimes I put murky stuff into my life, and it goes in, and it's all murky. And as I keep filling it up, it overflows in murkiness. And the stuff that comes out, it's pretty murky and muddy, isn't it? However, if I change the narrative, and I start to input some of the stuff that's not murky, and I keep inputting the stuff that's not murky, the more pure stuff, what ends up overflowing, the more pure. What goes in, comes out. If anyone wants a drink afterwards, another one too. <laughs> Pretty soon, as you input into your life, what you input into your life will start coming out. The murky stuff, that represents sin, doesn't it? As we put it into our bodies, as we engage with it, as we look at it on our phones or online or TV, or we go out and we drink excessively, or, or we use language that we probably wouldn't in front of your mother type stuff, images, unhealthy jokes, as this stuff all goes in, things that aren't edifying of the kingdom of God, things that, that aren't sitting in the, uh, in the scriptures, it all goes in. And it starts to overflow out. Yet if we're in Scripture, if we're reading it daily, if we're praying, if we're seeking to listen to God, talking through what we don't understand with our friends, seeking to be with like-minded people, worshipping regularly, all these things move us towards the pure. And as we pour that in, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is your mouth saying? about what is going into your body at the moment. What's going in your mouth? What's coming out of your mouth? Because that starts to define your character. Because if we're discerning God's right way from wrong, we'll be making decisions based on what we input into our lives, based on who God is, based on knowing God's stance of right 
and wrong. So if our character is based on Christ, on this firm foundation that can't be moved, the decisions around right and wrong are going to come with, with the blessing of how our life is lived. So, foundations in Christ develops godly character and then it leads to having accountable relationships. And we'll see that in verses 39 to 42. It says this in verse 39. He also told them a parable. Can a blind person lead a blind person? Will not both fall into a pit? The, 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 the analogy here is, is a little bit comedic, isn't it? The blind leaving the blind is not going to end well. And Jesus, he asked this rhetorical question. Won't they, won't they fall in a pit? Well, of course they will. It's got an obvious answer. And Jesus' point here is that the disciples would become like the teacher. So there was uh, many, many teachers with many, many disciples. It wasn't Jesus and his 12. It was many teachers, many disciples. And the disciple is going to become like the teacher. So if the teacher's blind, the student's also going to be blind. Jesus talks about godly, accountable relationships. And they're so important as we seek to be deepening, growing disciples of Christ. The world has seen too many godly leaders fail and fall, even most of all recently. And unfortunately, we watch too many disciples of these leaders fall also. Not necessarily in the same way as the leader, but fall away from a passionate faith that perhaps they once had. Hurt by some sort of an accountable relationship that was not based on a firm foundation or godly character. This is why I took the, the, the backward um, approach to the scriptures today. I don't normally go backwards, but this is why I did it today, because we can see that it's all based upon God's foundation. It's all based upon, therefore, godly character. And relationships based on those two things are going to be relationships that are edifying for the kingdom of God. Whether they're relationships with a pastor or a teacher or one another in church or a friend, our relationships that deepen our walk with God are relationships that need to have people of character that base their own lives on the firm foundations. Jesus goes on in the next few verses to help us understand the importance of how we act in these godly relationships. And he thinks about the speck in our own eye and he thinks about logs. He says in verse 41, Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice a log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, Friend, let me take that speck out of your let me take that speck in your eye when you yourself don't see that there's a big log in your own eye. He says it gets pretty intense. He says, You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. You know, in this parable, Jesus points to relationship with others and how those relationships can't be built upon hypocrisy. We can be fully aware of the faults of others, yet ignore the faults we carry in ourselves. He's saying, don't, don't lead blind people, don't be led by blind people. But now we're to hold relationships in such a way that it's not all about seeing the faults of others. But I hear... The, the, the flip side of this, because accountability is helping to pick up the faults of others, helping to iron them out, helping them to repent and turn back to God. So if we see a log in someone else's eye, shouldn't we be saying, hey, you've got a log in your eye? Wouldn't it be better to point it out 
in order for that person to then come back to God, to repent, to, to flourish in their faith. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying we shouldn't have accountable relationships, accountability that shapes one another in faith. But I think what Jesus is actually saying is that we need to be self-aware of our own faults before looking to the faults of others. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, My brother and sisters, if anyone is detected in a is detected in transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the laws of Christ. Restore in such a way, uh, in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens. I wonder how easy that is when you've got a log in your own eye, when you've got your own things that you're dealing with. If we're to bear with one another's burdens, we're to be in the process of, of restoration, helping those who are, are, are going off the tracks. But we can't do that unless we pay attention to our own things, the things in our lives that have a splinter in our eye. I don't know, when you get splinters, um, whether you, you pick, I, I pick out my splinters. If I get a splinter, I just go as hard as I can until the thing comes out because um, I just hate having the splinter inside. But, but when you do it, it can hurt a lot, can't it? Splinters can hurt. But, but you pull them out and you think, it's going to be this massive thorn just stuck in there. But what is it normally? Just tiny, tiny little piece of wood or whatever it might be. And, and you think, wow. Quite often you pull it out and you go, where'd that go? It was so small you can't even see it, yet it gives you so much grief. Imagine that was in your eye. That hurts. Jesus here suggests that, that we're blinded because we often miss what's in ourselves. It's easy to see what looks like a log in someone else's eye, but because we're blinded to ourselves. It's not. We shouldn't be doing that. We can say, well, they're not as good as me. I don't use language that is anywhere near as bad as they do. I must be a better Christian because of how I do my Bible studies. See, looking at the log always means that you're comparing yourself to them. Yet you may not know there's a log or a speck in your own eye. Jesus suggests here that paying attention to our own faults first, dealing with them in the light of community, is going to help us to help with the faults of others. They're the godly, accountable relationships that we should be building with one another. Relationships that seek to be open to hearing from others, that seek to work on their own specs. Relationships that are accountable and are built upon the godly character of those who are inputting the pure water, who are overflowing with the purity of God. Relationships that have a, found, a firm foundation, a strong footing in Christ. Godly, accountable relationships formed from a godly foundation that builds a godly character. So Jesus has given this framework to build our Christian lives upon. Foundation in Christ. It builds our character, which feeds into authentic relationships. A challenge for each of one of us, you online, each one of us here, is to enact this out in our daily lives. 
It's not a box that we can tick and say we made it, we did that. It's an ongoing life of discipleship. It's a challenge to show your workmates what it looks like to have a firm foundation when you step out your door on a Monday morning. When it comes to whether you make a compromise or not. When it comes to someone asking a question about your character. When it comes to seeing the speck in your own eye before the log in the other eye. We come back to our poor builder who had a moment of humanity. We probably don't blame him for skimping a little bit. We might even sympathise him with him. However, what we must not do is replicate him. Compromising your foundations, compromising your character, compromising the relationships with others, it can end up with you living in a house of shaky foundations. And when that happens, when the flood is coming, what's going to be happening? Build on that godly foundation. Develop a godly character. Form godly relationships. Why don't we pray? Our Lord God, we thank you for scripture that helps us to understand who you are, helps us to implement um, your word in action. Now God, this morning as we've thought about the foundations that we are to be laid upon, to be built upon, we ask God that we may turn ourselves again back to you. That God, as we think about the people that you've made us to be, may our hearts be oriented towards you. And God, if there's things in our lives, if there's specks that we're not seeing, may you reveal them to us to help us to take them out, that we may form authentic, godly relationships with others. That we may build one another up, that we may encourage one another in faith, and that we, may we see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We give you thanks, God. Amen. Thanks, Pete. Let's stand as we sing.